You're listening to Film School, broadcasting every Tuesday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time at KUCI 88.9 FM, Irvine, California, and on the web at KUCI.org slash filmschool. I'm Nathan Callahan. And I'm Mike Kaspar. In the new documentary, The Most Dangerous Man in America, Daniel Ellsberg and the Pentagon Papers, our guest today, director Rick Goldsmith, tells the story of what happens when a former Pentagon insider, armed only with his conscience, steadfast determination, and a file cabinet full of classified documents, decides to challenge an imperial presidency answerable neither to Congress, the press, nor the people, in order to help end the war in Vietnam. The Most Dangerous Man in America is screening at Lemley's Monica Fourplex in Santa Monica. Rick Goldsmith, welcome to Film School. Hi, uh, glad how, to be here. How are you today? I'm pretty good. Good. All right. So, how did you get involved in this film? What, what's the uh, what's the starting point for the most dangerous man in America? Well, we have to go back to nineteen uh, to uh, two thousand four, two thousand five, and remember that we were in the midst of two wars. We had been lied into those wars uh, by the president, and we had a Congress and a public that seemed either unwilling or unable to stop those wars. So that was the backdrop, and this story was so um, resonant with with those days. Now, both Judith and I had done films previously on people of ri- people's conscience who uh-huh. took great risks. Uh, she did a war call. Um, she did a film called The Good War, and Those Who Refused to Fight It was about conscientious objectors in World War II. Hmm. And I did a film called Tell the Truth and Run, George Seldes and the American Press, yes. which was about a muckraking journalist. And so people of conscience who were, who were taking great risks was kind of like our M.O. And Daniel Ellsberg was, uh, you know, was that times ten. Uh, now, did you ever get a chance to meet Ellsberg before you had an intention of making a film about him? Yes. Um, Dan was actually one of the interviewees for my previous film, for ah. Tell the Tooth and Run, and uh, Judith knew him as well. Uh, he had advised on her film. So we knew Dan. We knew his um, his work. You know, we knew him personally, and we knew his work. We were both, you know, kind of young adults when the Pentagon Papers happened in 1971. Now, I've got to ask, what's it like working with Daniel Ellsberg? What's it like uh, right now in, in interviews with him? Is, he, is there a, a sense that you're you know, with the man that changed the course of history? Uh, Dan Ellsberg is a very, very passionate man and very articulate and very verbose. So in terms of working with him, um, that was both the plus and the minus. In other yeah. words, the pluses, we got a tremendous amount of information and the minus was we got a tremendous amount of information, and we had to whittle it down. Um, but but he is as passionate today about our adventures in Iraq or Afghanistan and um, trying to learn the lessons of Vietnam and not make those same mistakes in Afghanistan as he was 35, 40 years ago. Well, the, the, one of the strengths of the films, one of many strengths of the films, is that we really do watch Daniel Ellsberg's personal journey. A lot of footage of him that, uh, thankfully, you had uh, to draw upon of him in his early days uh, at the at the uh, Rand Corporation and his his relationship with his wife and just her the way that she factored into his story. 
really quite fascinating. Um, I knew some of that, but I didn't know, I really didn't know anything about his wife until this film. So uh, you brought a real added dimension to the story by, in, by bringing in her story into this. Now, do you think she, uh, does she feel that he has too much information? <laughs> does, does she feel like yeah. he is? Yeah. <laughs> uh, do you ever hear her say, you know, shut up, Dan? <laughs> Well, um, she, I think she's, she is, as Judith once put it, she's the, the heart to his head. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, they make a very, uh, kind of bold uh, front, and they did back then, where she kind of, I think she kind of centers him in some way, but no, she doesn't feel bowled over. I think she feels very proud of what he, he did. And the interesting thing that, that comes through somewhat in the film is that, she was faced very, very early in their marriage, the first year of their marriage, with this critical decision when he gave her papers. And he was not sure whether she, you know, whether these were really worthy to put out, whether they really were going to make a difference. And he gave them to her to read. And she read them and saw, as she says in the film, the language of torturers. And she went back to him and said, um, you know, faced with, she could tell him, no, Dan, don't go through with this, and she knew she would have her man for the rest of his life. Or she could go and say, go ahead, do this, and risk him being in prison for the rest of their marriage. Mm-hmm. And she took a bold step, and mm-hmm. she said, uh, you know, this would be a sham of a marriage if I told him anything different. And she said, no, this is important. Go ahead, do it. Let, let's, let's go way back, because an awful lot of people, uh, you described, you were a young adult. Uh, I was old, certainly old enough to know what was going on when the Pentagon Papers came out. Let's, for, those of those, for those of our listeners who weren't uh, uh, old enough to know, and this may sound like arcane history to them, let's, go wa- let's walk back and just kind of walk through uh, what happened, what was going on in 1965, 66, 67, that led up to the country being... Uh, an uprising within the country in opposition to a war several 7,000 miles away from our shores in which we had, at that time, nearly a half a million American soldiers. Well, it's, you know, the the parallels with Afghanistan are actually remarkable. In early 1965, we had about 70,000 troops in Vietnam. It was not a full-scale, you know, it was still a, a big presence. This was the early days of Lyndon Johnson's presidency. Um and the early days of, you know, shortly after the Gulf of Tonkin, which was in 1964. And Lyndon Johnson was saying to the country, well, we needed maybe another 50,000 troops now. Um, and, um, you know, can we, uh, can we or should we go in? And he deceived the American public, saying, oh, we needed only this many, when he was planning on sending 100,000. Right. And as we know, within three years, there were 500,000 troops, American troops in Vietnam. Um, the thing that people sometimes even now forget, but this was very apparent in the Pentagon Papers, was that um, President Johnson, as his predecessors, President Kennedy and Eisenhower and Truman, did get the information from their advisors that this was a losing proposition, that we could do no better than a stalemate. Um, It wasn't, as is sometimes a popular notion, a quagmire. We didn't know what we were getting into. The presidents knew very well what they were getting into. And each of the presidents did not want to be the president that lost the war to communism on his watch. Mm -hmm. And so they 
messed around with the facts, they lied to the public, and they found a way to send in more troops and more troops, and and finally got us into this you know this horrible mess that we couldn't get out of. Now, in 1964, well, people don't really know. 1964 was the Gulf of Tonkin incident, and in the film, it's pretty clear that while some initial reports were filed on by I assume by a naval operative somewhere in the Gulf of Tonkin, that they were under attack, that's, that torpedoes had been fired by North Vietnamese ships, it became clear very quickly, within 24 hours, at, and even at the, uh, at the admonishment of the commander of this, these, these ships, that no such thing had occurred. Now, how was it that within 24 hours we knew that it, in fact, wasn't the case that they had been attacked, that Congress still went ahead and voted the Gulf of Tonkin Resolution, which gave Lyndon Johnson the power to bring American soldiers to the shores of Vietnam. How did that happen? Well, it was known inside the government, but it was not known uh, broadly, and Congress did not know that. And you you see a, a small clip in our film of William Fulbright speaking about that time, that he believed that the story that he was being given by the administration, by President Johnson, by Secretary of Defense Robert McNamara, that we had been attacked and we had no choice but to go to war, that that was the correct story. And the the facts that um, this whole Gulf of Tonkin incident had been fudged only came out much later, after the vote in Congress, to basically give Lyndon Johnson a blank check to do what he needed to do. It wasn't a declaration of war, but to do what he needed to do to deal with the quote-unquote military threat of North Vietnam. Very much like happened in the run-up to the Iraq War in late 2002, where our Congress gave President George W. Bush a blank check to do what he had to do. They weren't making a declaration of war to do what he had to do to deal with Iraq, based on lies. You just you have you have to really be concerned about the Amer- America. When uh, I saw, saw uh, bits of a documentary called "Why We Fight," and I've seen other documentaries that sort of run through these excuses for our involvement in these wars, and more often than not, going back to the Spanish-American War and even the World War One, and our involvement in a number of high-profile wars that have cost this country hundreds of thousands of lives, and and on the other side, millions of lives were essentially predicated on something that is, in fact, completely false. And we had a case here now, to eventually, after, I mean, I, I'm sure you know this, uh, we're speaking with Rick Goldsmith, he's the co-director of the film uh, The Most Dangerous Man in America, Daniel Ellsberg in the Pentagon Papers, uh, that, uh, uh, that the, the millions of people who died, who perished in Vietnam, on the Vietnam Peninsula during the time we were there, I just, I'm just stunned. I mean, and, and thank God we have a Daniel Ellsberg who eventually made this information available to us. But it... Well, I, I think you, you bring up another point that, that's important. We're, we're talking about government lies, but we're not talking about government lies about, you know, the price of milk or um, something else that might be serious but is not life-threatening. We're talking about government lies that have to do with killing innocent civilians, sending off young men and, and nowadays young women to kill and be killed that is going to affect their lives for the rest of their lives. 
or, or, or they might die. But even if they don't die, we know that returning vets from Vietnam, from the Gulf War, from the Iraq War, from Afghanistan, all have major, major problems because of what they witnessed. So it, it's another level of the effects of government lying that is so serious that we have to, you know, each generation we're faced with the prospect, do we go to war or do we not go to war? And we're faced with that prospect now yeah. in Afghanistan. Do we, do we increase the troops here? And these are, these are not just policy questions. These are questions of war and peace and life and death. You're absolutely right. I think that's a good point you make in that every generation needs to essentially rediscover uh, that, in fact, we need to question these very basic assumptions about the reasons that we are fighting. Why are we at war with uh, people of distant lands? What is the real reason for it? Because the real re- the reasons given aren't the real reasons. So what are what are they? And I think the the Pentagon Papers goes a long ways towards explaining the rationale behind the war in Vietnam. And we need to find out really why we're fighting in Pakistan, in Iraq, in Afghanistan. And uh, these are these are valuable history lessons. Now, now, we were going back into the history here, and we were talking about Vietnam, but the Pentagon Papers, uh, give us a good definition of what they were and why it was so important or, or controversial that, that Ginsburg uh, <laughs> photocopied Ellsberg. them. And, and, you mean uh, uh, yeah, El- Ellsberg. Ellsberg. Yeah, why Sorry. am I saying Ginsburg? R- wrong, wrong cultural icon. Uh, why, why Ellsberg uh, photocopied them? Why was that such a controversial thing at the time? What was it dismantling? Well, short history was that Secretary of Defense McNamara in 1967 was having his own doubts about the war, even though he wasn't speaking about those doubts publicly. He was speaking about them to, to the president. And he commissioned this study, and they got the, you know, the best minds around there, people who had been in Vietnam, uh, a number of people from this think tank ran that Dan had worked at, um, to do a study of what went on in Vietnam, decision-making process from the beginnings of when we were involved, 1945, through that time, 1967. So it was, you know, two decades of decision-making. And what it showed was that, um, first of all, there was a pattern of, um, of government lying to the people about why we were there. And also it showed that all the presidents knew very well that this was a losing proposition. And this had been kept from the American public. Now, by 1969, um, there was a tremendous anti-war movement, and Ellsberg felt like if this uh, information could be gotten to the public, it could possibly change the policy of the escalation of the war. At that point, Nixon was president, and he was escalating the war in a a different direction, where um, they were switching from ground troops, gradually switching from ground troops to aerial bombardment, yeah. bombardment, and also expanding the war into Cambodia and to Laos. So he felt like it was imperative that the American people knew this information, could see the documents, they would swell up and, and this could change the direction of the war. Mm. And he gave it to Congress, and people in Congress kind of, it was too hot for them to handle and they, they didn't do anything about it. And it took 18 months for him to finally get it to the press. And in 1971, it was published. And because it had all these revelations about the lying of the Gulf of Tonkin incident, mm-hmm. 
about how President Kennedy had been involved in the assassination of Diem, who was, who was our puppet in Vietnam back in 1963. Um, and all these facts that were, you know, not widely known, it was shocking. It was shocking to people. Um, so that was, that was the first revelations of the papers themselves. And then the Nixon administration jumped right on this thing and said, oh, it's government documents, it's secret, we have to shut them down. And they went to war with the press, um, uh, issuing court injunctions to stop the New York Times and then the Washington Post from publishing, and then eventually went after Ellsberg himself and put him on trial. And that, in, a, in an ironic way, kept the Pentagon Papers alive in the public mind. It's it's sort of there's a couple of reactions to what you're talking about. Is it's so so monstrously wrong that the American presidents and all their advisors recognize the futility of the of the war in Vietnam and understand quite clearly that they're not going to quote unquote win. That there's no winning this thing, and yet from the time of the study being completed in '68 till the time of their final our final withdrawal in April of 1975 how many thousands of american soldiers died and how many hundreds of thousands of vietnamese north and south uh died and including the war crime in my mind of bombing of haiphong and hanoi uh for i mean carpet bombing b52 bombing where hundreds of thousands of people the, the statistics that i have heard in the in our, during our involvement in vietnam the, the statistics are somewhere between two and a half to four million Vietnamese either died or or severely or were wounded in the time of our involvement in Vietnam. N- nearly four million people. Now, well, I, I, I just, I, I, I just, I, when you're describing this, it's just hard to, it's hard to digest. Well, it is hard to digest, and you, and you see it in the film. I mean, it's the the whole arc of the film is filled with a, a drama, a drama, a kind of grim drama. Because as you get to the Nixon years, and the Pentagon Papers were published in 1971, which was the kind of the beginning, middle of the, the Nixon years in the war, um, <clears throat> all of what you just described, or, or much of what you described, there were many, many American deaths, tens of thousands of American deaths after yeah. Nixon became president, and, and hundreds and hundreds of thousands um, as he increased the bombing. And you listen to these Nixon tapes, and we have them... Yeah. sporadically through the film of talking about the bombing of of Vietnam and um you know this sh- shit ass little country I'll probably get beeped out for that um well, we're not uh, on a delay and, <laughs> so okay so but um, I we we and, got the point and, yeah. <laughs> and talking and talking about the nuclear option yeah. with Henry Kissinger so callously yeah, um yeah. I mean it's 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 terrific it's terrific drama to listen to yeah. it but it's um, it's shocking stuff because yeah. of the consequences that we're dealing with. Well, well the other point too, and, and and what's fascinating about the film is we're watching the transformation of a man who 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 is he realizes that he is in he's complicit in in this murder. Uh, not only does his wife uh, Patricia make that apparent to him. But there's another uh, a fellow that you bring all, along into the film, uh, Randy Keller, is it, that, uh, that Ellsberg meets, and there's quite an emotional scene between the two of them. Uh, c- can you describe what was going on before that, and is, is Ellsberg, 
does he uh, still see uh, Randy, or is this something that they, you know, had they not seen each other for a while? What, what happened at that time? Well, the time that we did the filming of the two of them together, they had been in contact and they would see each other sporadically. Randy Keeler was a draft resistor and very, very influential in Dan Ellsberg's decision to put out the Pentagon Papers. And why that was so was because Dan was having doubts about the war, was having severe doubts about the war, and he's somebody who seeks out um, you know, unconventional things. Somebody who works for the Rand Corporation, the Pentagon, you wouldn't think would go to a conference where people that were anti-war um, were, were, you know, discussing these things. And he did, on his own, go to this conference. And he met Randy Keeler, who was about to go to jail for draft resistance, and talked about that uh, at the conference. And I think Dan Ellsberg... At that time, this is 1969 now, he felt so passionately about the war and his part in it because he had been one of the war planners and felt so much like, what can I do to help stop this war? And was moved by these people who were ready to put their lives on the line and their freedoms on the line to stop the war. That he said, okay, this is what they're doing. This is what I can do. I have 7,000 pages of top secret information in my safe. Maybe if I leak this, this will be my contribution to stopping the yeah. war. There, there, there's, a, there's a couple of things. One, one of the things that happened as a consequence of uh, Mr. Ellsberg, Daniel Ellsberg's uh, actions is that it's the thread that's, that uh, eventually led to the undoing of Richard Nixon. It was the, 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 plumbing, the plumber's unit that went in to uh, Ellsberg's uh, psychiatrist office. It was that incident that was kind of the dress rehearsal for the break-in at the Democratic headquarters at the Watergate Hotel, all of which eventually became the rationale for the um, impeachment of Richard Nixon, uh, and that led to his resignation. So there was, uh, his action certainly led directly to a change in administration and a change in U.S. policy, maybe not the way that he envisioned it. And there's one thing about the Pentagon Papers, and I just want to point this out. The, the actions of the American people do matter in these, in these kind of things. It does matter when we say we, we're opposed to a war. One of the parts of the Pentagon Paper that's not talked about a lot was even at the point when there were over a half a million American soldiers in Vietnam, there were calls by U.S. military to put another 200,000 troops in there, that's bringing the total over 700,000. The, the Pentagon refused to do so because they felt that those 200,000 troops would be needed to quell street demonstrations on the part of anti-war resistors in the United States. So there was definitely a calculus in place here where the American people were a part of ending the war, at least uh, in the later, later stages of this, uh, this horrible adventure on our part. That's, that's true, and I hope that's not um, missed in our film. We do concentrate on Daniel Ellsberg's saga. Yeah. And so um, while we do have the anti-war movement in the film, um, it's, it's not emphasized, and I, and I hope it's not implied by people that, that, oh, Daniel Ellsberg by himself did this wonderful thing, because it, it never would have had the impact that it did, the Pentagon Papers and, and Dan Ellsberg, without a mass movement. You're absolutely and, right. You know, he's the first. He's the first person to well, acknowledge that. We've had him on our show before. He's a wonderful man. We, great work. This is a terrific film, uh, and one that now it's it's uh, it's is it rolling out from uh, where it's at now at the Lemley uh, Monica? Uh, is it going beyond that? Where are we going after this? Yeah, it, it'll definitely be 
beyond that, we're um, working out our distribution strategy now. We wanted to make sure it was uh, uh, in place for a ca- for qualification for Academy Award nomination, if we should be so lucky. So we had to show it in L.A. and New York, and we rushed to get that into theaters because we, o- we finished the film only three weeks ago. Oh. Um, and now we're sitting back and working out with distributors um, a, a further distribution strategy for um, you know, the months ahead. All the best to you. The film is the, the Most Dangerous Man in America, Daniel Ellsberg and the Pentagon Papers, and we've been speaking with the director, co-director, uh, Rick Goldsmith. And thank you so much for joining us here on Film School today. Thanks a lot. To learn more about Film School, listen to more interviews, or subscribe to our podcast, visit our website at KUCI.org slash filmschool.